0: Okay. Hey, everybody, thank you for joining us today on Redefining Rural. We are here ready to celebrate, elevate, and change the way we think about rural education in the state of Colorado and beyond. My name is Danielle Platt. I'm the director of rural services at CDE. I'm joined by my co-host, Kirk Banghart, um, with the Colorado Rural Education Collaborative. Michelle Murphy is enjoying some much needed time off today, and we sure want to thank CSU Global for being our sponsor and providing our platform for our podcast. So, today we have a really interesting discussion um, that involves some very special guests, uh, Dr. Brad Mitchell and Dr. Ellen Pratt, and I will let them introduce themselves as we go. And so, Kirk, do you want to give us an intro?
1: Sure. So, uh, you know, as, as we all continue on looking at where we're going. Uh, as we talked about last month, we talked about specifically what what COVID and our reopening was looking like for Colorado. And so in order for everyone to hear a more national component, we brought in our, our two expert friends to talk about what they're seeing at the national level and from their organizational point of view, and also their interaction with rural collaboratives and uh, the rural component at the national level. So um, with that said, uh, if I could have... Uh, Alan and Brad, you guys go ahead and introduce yourself, your organizations, and we'll chat a little bit more about what we're seeing at the, the across the country for rural schools. So, Alan, why don't you kick us off?
2: Yeah, it's pleasure to be here. Thank, Kirk. thank you, Kirk and uh, Danielle. uh Alan Pratt, Executive Director of the National Rural Education Association. Uh, this is this marks my one millionth Zoom call slash uh, something. This. Since uh, March 8th, so this is exciting for me. I feel like Balloon should come down and be like the one millionth customer. So we're excited to do this and uh, ready to hear more about Colorado, but also share what's going on nationwide.
3: I'm Brad Mitchell. I'm with Patel for Kids, which is a national school uh, nonprofit, school improvement nonprofit. And we work particularly in rural schools, and I help lead up some of the rural initiatives. And I just say it's a pleasure to be on this show and that. Colorado is, in my mind, one of the leading states in terms of rural education, in terms of increased voice, the rural voices in, in state policy has been amazing. Um, and it's, it's beautiful.
1: Great. Um, so can you guys help us out in, in, in understanding uh, what does the landscape look like from, from your perspective as far as rural schools and how they're they're tackling or working with the COVID And then specifically what that looks like for reopening uh, in the fall of 2021.
2: You you know, from what we're kind of seeing and dealing with in the sense of uh, COVID, you know, I think we were in a kind of reaction mode from March 8th on. And and I think districts were just basically trying to find a way to, um, you know, cope and uh, deal with uh, being online or, uh, some type of transition to the digital uh, platform, and then really making sure their students are fed, and making sure the food, you know, uh, process is taken care of, either home delivery or some type of pickup system, um, moving forward. You know, I, I think there's so much uncertainty. I don't think we really have a grasp on what it's going to look like. And I, I think uh, you have a range of um, ideas of, I think some people still feel like we're going to go back in August and or September and things will be kind of normal. Uh, I think, you know, you have the other end of it where they think we may never go back for at least until there's some type of uh, cure. So it's kind of all across the board. I know, I know, you know, uncertainty is kind of the number one play that people just don't know what to do, and, it's, uh, you know, and their expectations are really, uh, they're kind of uncomfortable at this time.
3: I what I'd add is I think uh, three words hit me a lot in talking to my rural colleagues around the country, uh, leadership, empathy, and relationship. I have been amazed at the kind of leadership, the flexible leadership I'm seeing Um, from superintendents and principals and teacher leaders and community leaders. I was talking to an Arizona superintendent, rural superintendent, yesterday, and uh, he was late to the Zoom meeting, and he said, all my apologies. I just had another one of the sandcastles knocked down. And and what he meant by is that in planning one week to the next, it can change uh, in terms of your relationship with your health department, in terms of shifting policy, and he just said, I've just learned to become a sandcastle manager. Uh, that we try to do what we can in this week, but stay in the moment. We know that the waves are going to knock our sandcastles over. But we're resilient, uh, we care, and we're going to try. And so the, the, the leadership I'm seeing among many rural places is just absolutely amazing. So leadership one, two empathy. Uh, talking to another rural teacher, and she was saying that one of the things she learned by being on Zoom variety of platforms. She got to see the world behind her kids. She would see the home life she would see what going on behind her kids as she was engaged with her kids. And she said, I don't see that in the classroom. So when they come in, I expect them to act in a certain way in my classroom. But when I see them in their environments, I have a much greater empathy about what they're going through, what the challenges are, what the strengths are. So she said it's been a, uh, it's been a journey of empathy as a teacher forward in that. And so in a way, that's a side of remote learning that I haven't really thought about. But the Great amounts of empathy that have been going on, I think is really important. And the last is relationship. At the end of the day, this comes down to relationship. Uh, one of the things uh, we've done at Patel for kids is we're doing surveys with districts, asking teachers and students, and parents, what sense making are they making out of this? And the parents and the students are saying, it's all about relationship and what they miss most about going back to brick and mortar schools, that lack of engagement and that relationship. Uh, and that that is huge. And in many rural places, with the strong identity they have with their communities and the relationship, nature and the wild. That loss of relationship is, has been a big issue in the rural areas. So I would say leadership, empathy, and relationship are kind of the key things. Yeah,
1: uh, great. that's great. I appreciate that. I know we- Yeah, we... I
0: agree with that, Brad.
3: Why do you agree with it, Danielle?
0: Oh, I was just going to say, well, I was in a focus group yesterday and we were talking about addressing achievement gaps and the COVID slide and all of those things. And um, so there were uh, a few superintendents on there and they were asked to prioritize and, you know, with their reopening plans, what are the things that they need to address first or what are their most pressing issues? Um, and really the achievement gap could have been at the bottom of their priority list. What really was at the top was the kids' social-emotional learning needs, their staff's needs, and it all focused around relationships. Um, You know, they were talking about kids and parents and families and their communities and how they missed being engaged in the school. But he said it it works the same way with our, our staff. They missed those kids. And so just thinking about how we're addressing the whole relationship component, In this more virtual environment and thinking about you know how we really make sure everybody is doing okay in order to get them ready to learn is really the first priority that everyone has and you know Alan talked about continuing um, the feeding programs and making sure everyone's fed and all of those things so I think really putting our parents and uh, families kids needs first above you know everything else and making sure that when we do go back, we're ready to learn. Um, Is really at the top of everyone's priority list. And as you guys have already said, you know, things are changing so rapidly, it's really hard to get a solid plan in place. Um, so I think, yeah, there's definitely a lot of tension out there right now, but leadership, relationships, um, communication, all of these things that um, you're seeing, we're definitely seeing too.
3: The other thing I quickly add is creativity. I've been, my mind has been blown with creativity. I was talking to a California rural superintendent, and what they're going to do when they go back is they're going to keep their kids in last year's classrooms, their K through 8 kids, for the first four to five weeks because those teachers know those kids. They can do a lot with bringing them back in, and then they're going to slowly move them into the other area. I never would have thought about something like that. Yeah, some yeah. Some, some, some districts are, you know, bringing in kids early that need help before the school starts. And just that empathy and creativity, I think, is key. Uh, Alan, go ahead. Yeah, I think we're, we're seeing a
2: lot of uh, the looping where you know the, they'll keep a, a, a group of students for two years and I think a lot of the districts, especially in the southeast area and those around Georgia, Tennessee, and North Carolina, they're talking about doing the looping just for that same reason. They know the students and they're kind of welcomed back in that environment and they also know that if we do have another uh, kind of outbreak, they may have a 14 to 28 day window, they're at home again. So it kind of keeps that continuity of that, uh, that classroom relationship. And uh, you know, I, I kinda wanna hit on a thing Brad talked about as well, the leadership component, but also the innovation that's coming out of this for, for communities and the community get- togetherness. Uh, and and I'll, I'll strongly urge the listeners to go on to the "I Am a Rural Teacher" page, iamruralteacher.org. And uh, we're we'll working a grant with uh, Rural Schools Collaborative. Um, and the stories that are coming out of the COVID response has been really strong. There's about, I think, 40 to 50 stories up. And uh, love to have some stories from Colorado. So pushing that to uh, maybe get a little influx of Colorado stories on that on our on our page. But um, it's been really good to see the, you know, what they're doing with feeding, what they're doing with uh, technology, what they're doing in, in a time where they may not be able to do anything with broadband. They may, you know, they're working on paper packets and submission of information. And, you know, and Texas is one of the few states that pretty much came out right off the bat and said, if you're in third grade, even after this um, closure, you're gonna be ready for fourth grade. So we're not missing a beat, we're moving forward. So I think there's a different kind of, you know, set of uh, ideas for each state, which is pretty interesting to see.
1: Um, you know, one of the things that, that we ha- we've we been having a conversation, would love to hear if, it, if it's resonating that you guys are seeing across, across the country is that, you know, parents concerns about being informed of, of where they're going, seems to be really high among our suburban and urban uh, colleagues. Uh, in talking to superintendents in the rural place, it seems that our rural families are a little more understanding that it's okay to slow down and really do the opening in the right way. So I, I thought of this when Brad was talking about the sandcastles being knocked over. Because our rural districts have less people, you know, the when the, it, when the sandcastle gets knocked over, it, it's going to take a little bit more to rebuild it. Um, are you seeing that that rural rural districts are being a little more methodical on planning for reopening, or are are you guys seeing it in other states that that's coming out at a quicker pace?
2: You know, on our end, uh, you know, you're. I think you I think the 35 states have released their reopening guidance to their districts. And I think a lot of rural districts, like you're talking about, they're taking a slower approach to kind of see what's going on. Um, I also think that they're trying to really digest what the state's telling them to do on the reopening, which I think is important. Um, I know locally our State Department here in Tennessee has really pushed the local control. Uh, that's two-parted. It, when I look at one part being they are not accountable for anything that happens uh, with the reopening and also with the fact that you know each school district is run by their own board and they make the ultimate decision on opening and closing and all that.
3: So th- those things we're saying. I, you know, I guess I, the thing I throw out is uh, you've used, uh, Kirk, you used, Kirk, used a for, methodical. I don't think necessarily the rural places I know are more methodical. But because of their size being smaller, and so many people in a school organization wearing multiple hats, they're more nimble. They're more flexible. There, you can get on a Zoom call the key people at two thirty when your sandcastle's been knocked down and build a new castle by four um, thirty. And, and so, and I think that's actually a strength because I think the bigger systems feel they have to be more methodical because they got more stakeholders, they got more variables they can't bring all the people together. But I actually think for many rural places, their size and relationships allow them to be far more nimble.
1: Yeah, well said. I agree.
0: So when I was on vacation last week, I was driving around Arizona and listening to satellite radio. Who do I hear coming on the radio? Alan Pratt on the rural radio network talking about (laughs) <laughs> I'm like, really? Is this real? This is crazy. Okay. Um, so Ellen, talk to us a little bit about policy from a policy standpoint, what um what you think is going to come out of this whole situation.
2: You know, at the national level, the federal level, I think, you know, you're you're still seeing I guess states kind of working with their local districts on how they're going to uh, disperse the CARES Act money and the plans for that. But they also have a HEROES Act that passed the House side and the Senate's not going to take it up, I don't think, until after the 4th of July. Uh, I know the House announced a $1.5 trillion package yesterday that has a lot of infrastructure um, kind of money in it. I think it's dead. On the Senate side, when it gets there, so I think you're going to have two or three different things floating after the Fourth of July um, that that we hope to have some more funding. We're, you know, we're going to need more funding, um, and, and the the feds, you know, we're going to need funding just to reopen, I think, in general, but also to kind of carry us through to help with safety concerns and also technology concerns, and then looking at broadband across the board, which I think is going to be uh, important, and um, I think the, those kind of things are the biggest, what we're seeing right now. Um, it, it's, gonna get, it's gonna be really interesting to see how states use their CARES Act money, and then hopefully their HEROES money and other money coming, that how it's going to be used as either a way to uh, kind of supplement what they're losing from any kind of sales tax or anything like that, but also how they're directly using it to help rural districts and rural. Teacher shortages, rural broadband, in general. So, I think those are the biggest factors right now. Um, You know, Tennessee just voted yesterday to to kill our teacher pay raise here locally and our teacher bonuses. That was one of the first cuts that 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 came through, and um, I think that's going to be the case for a lot of those states as well.
3: I think the thing I throw in is um, the shadow world these policy aspects that really concern me. I think there are three big policy waves that have shadows to them. That's a mixed metaphor, probably doesn't work. Three three approaches. One is this whole technology fix thing. So uh, we're going to increase remote learning. We're going to increase technological aspects uh, and access to that. Um, And on the one hand, that's a nice immediate emergency. I worry about the shadow side of that in terms of like we were saying earlier, is that do we still have then any resources or enough focus on the mental health side or the social emotional side or the relational side? Um, and I think if we learn anything from remote learning experiment of the spring, that if you're a kid that has a strong supportive infrastructure and a great deal of support for self-directed learning, remote learning can work for if you don't have those supports, it can increase the gaps considerably. So I worry about the push for technology as being a huge solution, overshadowing these other facts. One, secondly, accountability. I think there's gonna be a really interesting shadow game with the accountability. We gotta hit a pause with testing in the spring, probably next year, and the accountability and the report on systems. And will this be an opportunity to really rethink frame, recalibrate, Accountability and improvement, and what's in the best interest of the student, and what, uh, what is our vision of learning in, in moving forward. So, I think there's going to be areas of accountability going to come back And we'll I we'll worry about, about that. And then the last one is the finance issues um, and the shadows there of will that be an excuse in some states to consolidate rural places and that whole school community relationship issue? Um, forcing people to make tough choices like, yeah, I can keep a teacher, but I I might not be able to have AIDS. Um, Enhance the teacher shortage issue. I think there'll be a whole shadows around this finance thing. In a way, I think that could be a perfect storm in some states for being some bad stuff. Uh, Hey, change in finance, technology is the solution, less teachers, uh, less focus on the whole child. Um, And I I do worry about is this going to be a breakdown or a breakthrough? A disruption or a disappearance in many rural school systems—the shadow side scares me considerably.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for that. So I know we're kind of running short on time, but um, going back to the leadership question. So I know we've been getting a lot of um, questions from the field about support for leaders right now and leading through challenging times. So I think. In closing today, um, I'd like to ask both of you to share your best advice, or what what has changed you, or what have you learned. Um, what is your advice for our leaders as they are leading through these challenging times, just leading from where they are? What advice would you give them? Yeah,
2: you, know, you know, I think for for me, I, I think you know one of the things coming out of this is being, you know, I guess isolated and and being uh, in a non-travel world for me in general and dealing with, um, you know, our state affiliates and other folks across the country is uh, I I think it's they need to, your, your district leaders or leaders in Colorado need to reach out to each other. And I think leaning on each other and, and talking and, and sharing ideas, but also sharing struggles, I think that's the key. And I think having a support system because when you're a district leader, you're by yourself in that community and you're the, you're the one at the top. So I think I think it's important for the collaborative spirit. I think it's important to share ideas. I think it's important to find out what's working in other parts of the country or other parts of the state and uh, find out what's not working. Uh, One of the things that we're doing uh, in July is we have uh, rural principals in uh, Pennsylvania and Kansas doing uh, connected calls with rural principals in Australia. And Australia really never closed their schools. So we're doing a little bit of kind of the good, the bad and the ugly of reopening slash kind of continuing. And we're wanting those principals to uh, kind of have an exchange on on ideas. And I think it's good to uh, find areas that have already reopened and uh, see what they're doing right and wrong and what they would do differently.
3: I came across the phrase the other day, once again, by a, a rural principal. Uh, he said he was doing a lot of ground truthing, ground truthing. And I asked him, what did that mean? He said, at the end of the day, what matters most is listening to the parents and to the students, understanding their truths and to making whatever it happens to, uh, to serve those troops. Uh, what, what works in this place in this time and keep that ground truthing. And I love that phrase of being very, very, very important because it's easy for administrators to get distracted by the top-down stuff. There's going to be a lot of top-down stuff. And I think the ones that are very open to their voices of their students, their teachers, their parents is really a, a big thing. Uh, Alan and I are a little bit involved in a group called Just Ask Us. Is doing a surveying of parent and kids and teacher voices, just askusmovement.org. You can go check it out, in which they're going to try to get a million voices of families and, and kids and teachers about these ground truths about what do you want from your school? Work it is, it work? I, I, I'm again very afraid that in our rush for the urgency, we're overlooking the important. And this is a huge opportunity to rethink schools in ways that really work kids, particularly kids on the margins. And if their voices aren't being heard in this, it's very difficult. One of the things that I'm pleased by being involved in rural places is many rural leaders understand that and are, are ground troops uh, to make
1: that happen. Um, and
3: to me, that's huge.
1: That's great. And so, Brad, tell us again that, that website um, that they can go to if they're interested in participating.
3: Just askusmovement.org. And the other uh, shameless uh, uh, commercial I'm going to do here, and Alan might want to jump in, uh, as you guys know, uh, National uh, Rural Education Association of the Telford Kids host a, uh, a conference every fall. It used to, it was face-to-face up until this year. We're going to be um, virtual this year, November 12th and 13th, and our, our title is Recovery, Renewal, and Resilience. And really trying to bring people from around the country virtually to talk about Ground truthing, what things they are doing at the recovery phase and then the renewal phase once we get beyond this plague, and then the resilience of systems to be able to grow and prosper. Forward. So, people um, that want to learn more about that can go to the NREA website or can go to the BFK website. Alan, did I do a shameless plug there? Did well. Good job.
1: Well, gentlemen, thank you so much uh, for your time and your insight about what's, what's going on uh, in rural schools. Uh, because as, as our listeners know, for us, rural is, is a critical part of, of what's happening. And so to hear not only what's happening in Colorado, but what's happening around the country, we really appreciate you you joining us and providing your insights in the future, um, what the future holds. Danielle, anything else before we close out?
0: No, uh, just thank you guys, and we look forward to continuing the conversations with you. Thank you all. It.
2: Thanks for having us. Appreciate it.